We are not telling you to quit your job. Here at Off The Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneurs Podcast, we are teaching you exactly how to gain your freedom as a healthcare professional in places that school never taught you. This is OTC University and class is in session. Welcome to another edition of Off the Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneur Podcast. As always, I'm the captivating, motivating, scintillating, and money-making Dr. Carl Bourne Jr. And I got my main man, Mr. Paulo Ching in the building. Paul, say what's up to the people. Yo, what's up to the people? Happy to be back on another episode. This is going to be a dope, dope one. Um, just, just ecstatic, for real. I'm going to keep it short today. I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> yes, sir. So... You guys know every week we love to bring you special guests that can upgrade your business, your brand, really upgrade your life. This week is no exception with that being said. We got a lady boss in the building that's about to tear the house down. We have someone who is a real estate and healthcare expert. She advises physician owners and investors with healthcare real estate asset class opportunities. Her track record in investment sales landlord representation, corporate representation, and tenant representation offers client trusted experience with comprehensive strategies with pricing, market fluctuations, and problem solving solutions that result in successfully closing transactions. Her performance and production achievements are recognized annually, and she is also the host of the Providers Properties and Performance Podcast, where she focuses on the possibilities and future of healthcare and commercial real estate. With all that being said, I want to go ahead and introduce our lovely guest for today. We have Miss Trisha Talbot in the building. Yes, ma'am. How you doing? Good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So we like to be respectful of your time. You know, we know you're busy. You got deals you're trying to close and take care of. So with that being said, we won't waste any time. We always like to kind of start off with the why, right? Because a lot of what you've been able to accomplish, a lot of what you've been able to build stems from that why. And so just right out the gate, tell us, why did you even choose to pursue this field? And how did we even get here? Sure. So um, I started in with a healthcare real estate developer. So that's, um, I started in the leasing department there. And at that time, I didn't really know I wanted to specialize in um, healthcare real estate. I was just trying to break into the commercial real estate field. But as I started um, bouncing around a little bit, I realized that um, I'd done a couple other uh, little stints before I landed at, at this um, in-house leasing opportunity. And then, you know, it, it sort of all made sense to me because these, these providers and these buildings that were being um, built and the, the physicians inside of them, they, it was mission driven and um, demand driven and mission critical. So these people had to be there and it was different. And um, from other, I guess, users of, of space, I mean, their restaurants have a purpose um, and, you know, obviously every piece of real estate has some sort of purpose, but this, um, you know, specifically, you know, a medical building needs to be built near a hospital. Why? Because there needs to be physicians that have to have some outpatient 
offices near a hospital. And then, you know, there needs to be physicians that are in communities. There needs to be urgent cares. Well, why? Well, because, it, you know, if you get up in the middle of the night or after um, outpatient office hours, you can't, you shouldn't go to the hospital if it's not urgent, but an urgent care center in the middle of a community makes a ton of sense. And it gets the, you know, the sinus infections, colds, um, you know, those sorts of things out of the way so that they don't have to go into the hospital and, you know, people can see them. So all of these sort of made sense to me as to why these buildings um, existed. And, and, you know, these tenants in particular, they can't work out of their house. They have to have um, a facility. One, you know, like yourselves in physical therapy, it's really expensive to have an at-home physical therapy clinic. You have to have a ton of equipment and then you probably don't want all those people coming to your house. So, you know, you have to have a facility to treat people in. Um, so to me, that started driving um, my why. And as I started working with these physicians, I felt like I could really, I could really help them. A, a lot of them you know, some do start to take the path into the business side. Some are super overachievers and you have these MD, MBAs, you know, doing that. But for the most part, I would say, you know, if you look at the bell curve, the majority of physicians, they're really good at being a physician or a surgeon. And when it comes to the business side, while they still can be good, you know, how many hours in the day do they have? Um, so do you want to, do you want to be, you know, at clinic, seeing all these patients all day, then go home and be doing business model performas for, you know, uh, a practice that you want to open or a surgery center or, or what have you. Um, and then, you know, when it gets to the real estate there, that's a whole other ball of wax because you have to find properties and you have to tour them and not that they can't, but, you know, do they most of the people working in the industry and in that, you know, they're working eight to five and then, you know, they're doing their day job eight to five. And then after eight, after five or before eight, you know, unless you have a relationship with somebody, if you start calling brokers to see space, nobody's going to be there to answer your call. So you have to have somebody working for you during the day. And then when you, you know, get all of these leasing costs, or you're looking to purchase a building or sell a building, you know, you need to know the financial aspect on, of it to negotiate very well in these transactions. And uh, unfortunately I've seen one too many um, situations where the physician or provider clinician, you know, whatever they, you know, th the only thing they're lacking is that they don't do these transactions. They're not doing these transactions day in and day out. So if there's certain nuances that change with the market and if they're not negotiating on a regular basis, they don't know where the pressure points are that they can, they can really negotiate better for themselves on their behalf. So unfortunately they sometimes, you know, I see it a lot where they go, they're like, well, I'm just going to do this myself. And, you know, the, and that's their prerogative, but you see that they leave money on the table that way when they don't have to. So, so that's, I guess my big answer to the why. I love that. Um, and specifically because you've just tapped into something that I don't think we've ever spoken about before on this podcast. And so let me kind of scale back a little bit because I want us to differentiate the difference between, I'm going to call it regular real estate. And then <laughs> let's like, cause it even sounds like we got to talk about the commercial side of things. Right. Right. And so help the people understand, because I think when most people think real estate, we're thinking like, maybe I'll buy a house, I'll flip it you know, whatever I saw on HGTV. 
And <laughs> that's my, you know, world of real estate. But in this instance, it almost sounds like one, there's a side of owning the building where a lot of these practices like have to take them. It's not even a maybe like they have to be there. And then two, the actual business owner needing a lease out of space. So what becomes a differentiating factor between like what we'll call regular real estate, like moving from perching as a house to like selling that versus this side, what separates the two? Well, so if you're going to, if you're going to purchase a building one, so one, let's do the separation. It's, I would say for a majority of people, the commercial real estate purchase is going to be a lot bigger than their house purchase. Um, so with that, there's, there's a, a lot more expense. So typically people don't have this kind of cash laying around. So one, they need lenders. Um, with that, you know, if you're going to go and purchase it, and then you're going to ask a lender to give you a significant amount of cash, one, they're going to want to make sure that you can pay for it. You know, your business is up and running, or you have the personal financials to guarantee it, where you can make that, that monthly payment. Um, and, you know, there's the SBA loan. So there's different lenders and depending on the different, like if you're wanting $5 million versus $10 million versus 20, 25 million or what have you, as the, as it goes up, there's also different lenders that, that, that provide that kind of, um, capital and on different terms and there's different partnership structures. So, you know, so you're looking at a transaction value that is a lot bigger. So there's different players in that world. If you're looking to build your own building, there's different contractors. You're not going to go and find the guy that, you know, remodeled your house necessarily, unless you're just remodeling, I guess, just one 1500 square foot space. But if you're going to build a building, there's a whole, there was architects that specialize in medical office. There's contractors that specialize in medical office. You do not want to build a first medical office um, with a contractor that's never done it before. There's too much plumbing. There's electrical requirements. Sometimes there's backup generators. There's too much in the infrastructure that needs to be considered for some very high specialty places. Um, and so, so there's all of that then you know your business your practice has to be cash flowing enough to make this real estate make sense so you know if if not then you want you want to start depending so i guess let's let's back this all up to to the beginning of you're trying to access a certain patient group so your business model you want to access your patient group it's not and you know sometimes like a dentist could open up you know, pretty much in any neighborhood, but like for yourselves, physical therapy, you can't have too many physical therapists in one area. You have to strategically place yourselves either near a group that refers to you either, you know, or a community, um, that needs it, that there's not another physical therapist, but you, you have to think about where are you going to get your referrals? Because people get referred to physical therapy. Um, do you want to be near an orthopedic group? Do you want to be near a hospital, but like across the street, like where strategically are you going to place it? So you need to be accessing a patient group or your insurance says we need physical therapy and this zip code or what have you. So you're trying, you need to figure out what patients you're going to serve. And then you have to figure out are what how are those patients going to pay you? How are you going to generate the revenue? Is it insurance? Is it, is there going to be private pay, Medicare, Medicaid? Like what, 
what is the revenue stream so that you have an idea of the business that you're you know, going to generate and then your costs, and then you're going to factor in the real estate as part of those costs. And then depending on how much you have to spend, that's your budget for the real estate. And if it, um, so, so that's the first thing. Then if you're like, if you're like, well, you know, my business is, my business can pay rent, but I, as an entrepreneur, I, as an individual want to purchase real estate, not just lease it because I want to get more bang for my buck with my money. I don't want to, um, you know, I want to start building some wealth. And by the way, this makes a ton of sense because I'm going to be in the building and I can see it every day. So it's not going to be that much of a hassle. That's a, that's a whole other step. And I, and I, and I see a lot where the, the real estate starts getting intermingled into the business finances. And I strongly suggest separating those, especially if it's a multi-tenant building. Um, so, so, you know, then you go and you ask yourself, okay, this isn't going to be just a practice business. It's going to be also, I'm going to start a real estate. I'm going to become a, you know, start to be a real estate owner and an investor. Then, you know, you take it along that path. Okay. You know, how, then what, how much real estate do I want to take on? Do I want to be um, a landlord and get by or build a bigger building. And then I lease, I take some space for my practice and then lease out the rest. Do I just want it to be my practice? Am I using this as an expansion tool? Do I just want to be single tenant? Do I want to, you know, build it because my um, tenant improvements inside are so expensive, for example, imaging or, um, you know, uh, cardiology, uh, car, you know, uh, like if they want to do surgery centers or procedures in part of it, and then have clinical space in the other, like, you know, there's, that's an expensive build out. Do I want to fund this myself, put a lease on it, then sell it, get the, get paid back and then go open two other clinics. So depending on how you're going to use the real estate, how much, you know, you want the return as an investor. And then, you know, ultimately you as a practitioner, where are you trying to capture your patients? So it's a very multi-pronged way of going about it. And when I, when you do it more strategically that way, and I, I would say in a more offensive role, instead of a defensive role, the real estate really can help you and benefit you, serve you and be very strategic. So on the, on the back end of that, let me ask you, because you you mentioned this earlier, how there are times where, you know, they're kind of like, they want to do it themselves, right? They want to kind of take over because they, they figure like, I got this. In your experience, like what, what have you seen that has been like the biggest myth or misconception in regards to being able to acquire that commercial property, like just in general, from a standpoint of like, I'm a clinician, I'm looking at this property and I guess there's two sides to the coin. Like you said, like whether you want it for passive income purposes or, you know, for business transactions, but what would you say have been the biggest myth or misconceptions that you've seen? So I definitely see that they don't underwrite it. Um, so if you talk to somebody that is a successful physician and real estate investor, and typically what I hear as lessons learned is they you know, you don't know what you don't know. And in going in, I see that when they don't underwrite um, for a lot of things, 
I wish, you know, real estate is a great industry because it's imperfect, but it's also a frustrating industry because it's imperfect, which means that, um, you know, you go in and you have these expectations and the market is one way and you build this great performa, but you also have to build in what ifs you have to, you know, you have to do as much as you can with what ifs on paper, because the what ifs happen, COVID happens, um, 2008 happens, you know, these things that come out of left field, they call them black swan events. You know, you have to say, am I going into this real estate where I can, I'm going to position myself to withstand something that I don't predict, um, construction costs, um, mistakes in construction costs. Um, those are, are, are things that I see that they don't consider. And even, um, you know, for the first timers, you know, if they're, they are building their own clinic and even though they've worked in a clinic and they're like, I know exactly what I want to build in my head, you know, real estate isn't that way on, you know, on paper, it's one thing, but you have to, you know, depending on when you get a piece of property, if there's, if you live in a place where there's a lot of weather, you have to think about retention basins or flooding, um, you have to, you know, you have to start considering all of these factors into how to build the exterior of the building. And then when you're thinking about the interior, um, I, I, I just heard this, which I thought was, was interesting that a hospital, uh, actually I interviewed a guest on my podcast. So a hospital went and, um, did a whole renovation on a floor and they didn't ask the nurses for input. And so then, um, there's these nurses that were working in it that were super frustrated because if they had just asked them, Hey, what would, you know, how give us your input on how to lay this out. So, and, you know, because the nurses have to serve all these patients and, um, and things like that, like just considering how the space is and the architects that work into this industry. And like, you know, I've seen a ton of office spaces and, you know, I've seen a ton of physicians, um, you know, organize these offices and, you know, it, it is, you know, real estate is, I think, much better in a team approach to avoid those mistakes. You know, it's much better to get a couple different people to, to give you feedback on the underwriting. It's great to have a couple different people to back on the design. It's have a couple different people um, give you some feedback on materials that, you know, that make the most sense in whatever part of um, the country you live in you know, just having people to bounce this off of instead of saying, well, you know, I know what I can do and I'm just going to do it myself, which it's great, you know, and, you know, there is, you know, that one unicorn that, that makes it through it. But I would say more often than not, um, there's a lot of frustrated people that have, are writing a lot of checks for mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that, that definitely makes sense. So for you, when you're going out and you're looking for these properties, like, is there in, in your head, because I mean, you've been doing this for, for, you know, a long time now, so it's mm -hmm. probably second nature, but what, what does your checklist look like? Like, what are the things that are like, this equates to a good property and this equates to a bad property? And how do you kind of walk clients through that as well so that they understand, you know, they're getting more bang for their buck with one property versus another. 
Yeah, and I think that has a lot to do with the investment requirements. So I'll just throw you know an, an example out there. So, um, or I'll talk about a, one reason. So I had an uh, interventional radiology group that wanted to purchase a surgery center, and they wanted they didn't they wanted to get up and running as quickly as possible, and they had certain ge ge geographic areas that they were looking in. Um, so the first thing that I did was, um, you know, I didn't look for anything other than existing medical space to start with, um, because trying to convert general office to an interventional, interventional radiology surgery center would be very expensive, but converting from a medical office to a surgery center, it still will be expensive, but there's certain, um, infrastructure, I think in place. And then, you know, and then I looked for surgery centers that might be on the market and sort of just, you know, went down that path. And then I, um, you know, took a look and to see what kind of condition they were in, then I can give them, um, you know, some ideas of what it's going to cost as to what it looks like now as, as versus what it, you know, it, it can be. Um, so, so that's on the buy side of some of the things that I do. So I, I really, you know, if they don't, and I, you know, I, I ask them, you know, do you want to wait for, you know, to build out something, if they want to wait to build out something, it is, it is going to be six to eight months um, before they're going to be able to occupy. If they're going to build something from scratch, well, that, that could take, you know, two and a half years. So really understanding what their timing is, um, obviously square footage, um, what they're looking for, for square footage, you know, you can kind of, uh, put in parameters for that on the sell side. Um, I, I sell a lot of physician owned buildings and I really different physicians run their buildings differently. And, and some have been, some have had better advice than others, but I see a lot of buildings that need to, to have a lot of, um, clean up on the financial aspect of it before they bring it to market. And if there's, you know, depending on what they're looking for, for valuation, I recommend some, um, some improvements to the property and some can be really simple. I mean, some is as simple as cleaning up the landscaping, blowing the leaves and cleaning the windows. I mean, that, that's, a, that does a ton for showing a building. Um, and getting it ready. Cause as soon as you put a building on the market or tell buyers that it's available, they start driving by. So and it's immediate. Um, you know, if you cleaning up the parking lot, uh, power washing a building, I mean, these are just some, some really, um, on the less expensive side of things to do. And they have, I would say they give you a lot of bang for your buck. And then on the financial side and the rent rolls and separating the financials from their practice, like all of this is, um, you know, things that I advise on the sell side, because I know what the investors are looking for and I know what makes deals go faster and, and what slows deals or kills deals. So I really try to get them to, it's very, I would say it takes, um, it takes some effort on their part, part to get it ready. But then once it gets on the market, it, it's usually, it, it's smooth sailing. So that, that is, I, I see a lot and I, I help them a lot with. So naturally, I have to ask this question. Mm -hmm. Has there ever been an instance where, and you don't have to, you know, throw any names around. <laughs> you know what I'm Everything is confidential here. It's just between me, you and Carl. Yeah, yeah. And everybody else that's listening. And all the listeners. And all the listeners. But <laughs> has there ever been an instance where 
a deal maybe like slowed down or had a hiccup at the last minute simply because of like random finances that just popped up out of nowhere. And if there has, what do you normally, because I asked that just assuming like somehow that always happens in most. It always happens. Yeah. (laughs) So what do you usually try to advise people when they're going to that and expecting like somehow it's guaranteed something will pop up at the end before we close? How do they fix a lot of those financial issues? And what do you advise for them to even like try to do their best to avoid those random hiccups at the end? Well, a lot of it, um, well, I try to avoid everything on my client's side that I can think of. So I ask for a ton of documents and I even ask if they don't mind, you know, if I can have um, their accountant's phone number that does their, you know, whatever their business books sometimes if they'll, if they're okay with that and the accountant's okay with that. Cause the accountant and I can really go through it pretty quickly as to what the line items, you know, in the income statement are that I need, you know, either more detail on or what have you. Um, and so, and, you know, they, it's just, sometimes it's easier to have that conversation or, you know, we have it together I do a ton of conference calls. So, um, so either way, it just depends on how hands-on some, some are like, just do it. I don't want to be involved. And some are like, no, no, I want to be involved. Um, so that happens. I, I try to get as many of the building documents up front. Um, you know, especially when you're dealing with, uh, properties that are part of a, uh, an association and, and not just office condos. I mean, it can be that there's just several buildings in an area and they're all part of an association. The association docs are, um, there, any buyer needs to read them anyway. So I try to get them ahead of time. Um, and I usually iron out a lot of the issues on the front end. Uh, but like there was something that in a recent transaction that was completely missed when my client bought the property and then we were selling the property and we saw this clause in a, in a, in a declaration and we had to go to a, somebody that was not part of the transaction to get them to sign off on it. And that was in, in theory, my client's fault in essence, um, it wasn't the buyer's fault, but you know, we just, you just push through those and, and try to get the right people to solve the right problems. That's, that's really cool. Um, that you have a way to go about that. So my next question kind of deals with even the reality of real estate, but I want to ask it in context of 2020 when everything was like shut down. Right. Um, the only like things that were certain was everybody might catch it one day and real estate was not going to stop being sold and bought. So what was it like in, in a space where it almost seemed like everything in the world was slowing down or coming to a halt? Was there like just a moment of time where nothing was happening in healthcare real estate or did it have the opposite effect and just a whole bunch of people actually did business? So, you know, there was like six weeks here in Arizona and I'm, and, um, and I'm in several other places where they said that, um, you know, non or, uh, elective surgeries were, were, were on hold and pretty much that elective surgeries is, def- I think, defined as anybody that's not getting something for trauma or critical care. So people that were, you know, cataracts, I even heard appendectomies were, um, and th- those, I, 
you know, if you have an appendix at first, that's actually, I think, kind of critical. But, um, you know, there are people with uh, cataracts, um, you know, probably some knee surgeries and those things were on hold. And that I think gave people pause for sure. Um, in six weeks in the light of now looking at it, 2020, um, with 2020 vision, you know, wasn't that long in, in this entire process, but I will tell you that I continued to work just as much, if not harder, um, through the pandemic. I mean, there was ebbs and flows like everything, but, um, I had several deals in the, in escrow and they're panicking. So, you know, I had to be constantly on the phone trying, you know, trying to find answers to an unanswerable question. Um, but in all of it, you know, when I looked at it, you know, these were, these were buildings that had long-term leases. So I can't speak to other pieces of real estate other than in general, but in healthcare real estate, you know, people took a pause for sure. But when you look at the rent rolls in, in healthcare real estate, and the reason why investors are attracted to it is because they're, they're long-term. Um, and, you know, I think if tenants were looking to make a move, they weren't looking to make a move then. So that was even an opportunity to get some of the, get people renewed, but you wouldn't, in the buildings that I was selling, you know, with 10 year leases, it's like, you know, and I, Joe, I actually, I'm sitting here as you're, as I'm answering this, I was having the conversation with someone. I'm like, well, even if this thing like lasts three years, it's a 10 year lease. Like we're going to get through it. And I'm sitting here going, <laughs> here we are two years later. Um, but, uh, you know, but it is true. I mean, they, they don't have to, you know, that there's a 10 year lease on this thing. And that's one of the things with healthcare real estate is, you know, when you talk to the landlords, like I think above 95% of the tenants continued to pay. The PPP was great because, you know, all these small businesses um, that, you know, as long as they are under a certain number, which a majority of them are of, of employees, you know, they qualified for the PPP. I mean, I'm seeing financial statements now where it's like, you know, the PPP loan forgiveness, PPP loan forgiveness. So, you know, a lot of them got that in order to keep their employees and, you know, the doors open. So, you know, for healthcare real estate, um, like I going back to the, the why, well, because it's demand driven and mission critical people, even after that six weeks, people had to go back and they, they needed, wanted to get their cataracts taken care of. They wanted to go and have that knee surgery. They wanted to go, um, and just do these, you know, and, and continue with their healthcare. I mean, people that were having for more, um, drastic concerns. I mean, you can't close down oncology centers. People still have to have their chemotherapy. You know, these things have to happen no matter what is going on. So I want to, I want to kind of redirect a little bit and let's talk more about your journey as an entrepreneur, right? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like it's always very critical to be able to speak to the things you had to go through, right? And not just what it is that you do. So tell us, like, what would you say are your top three success habits that you have that have led you to be able to see the success that you're seeing now in the business? Well, um, people say I'm very organized. So I think that's, that, that's, um, 
and it's not something, it's, I guess it's something I don't necessarily think too much about it. Cause I guess I take it for granted, but I think because I am organized, my clients really depend on me and they, you know, once they give me the information and I make it available to them, they can always find it. And I, you know, I use um, online stuff, so they always have access to it. So I think I take it for granted, but, and, you know, that sounds kind of silly, but, um, you know, being very well organized and, and since I'm organized, I can keep my clients organized. And I think they, that is super helpful. I think when you've used consultants or advisors before, and you feel like you you're paying them and then you're having to help them just to stay organized, super frustrating. Cause you can't even get to what you're wanting them to do because you're, you're having to you know, keep them organized. Um, so I think I take it for granted, but I think that's one of, um, one of the things And I, uh, I try to always work smarter, not just harder. I don't like to just continue to make the same mistakes over again. So I really learn and try to be incredibly efficient with not only my time, but other people's times as well, because I know that, you know, when they're meeting with me, it's not necessarily the thing that they want to be spending time doing. They're meeting with me because they need to get some answers to some questions and information, and then they want to go home to their family. So, and I want to go home to my family. So, you know, I take that into consideration as well. So when I come to a meeting, I'm incredibly prepared. You know, I've, there is a goal for the meeting. If we can't get taken care of in that meeting, then, you know, we have to have another one, but, you know, I try to offer also convenience um, for them. We can do it over Zoom. We can do it on a phone call. We can do it in person. We can do it at the Starbucks next to your clinic. I can come to your clinic, um, you know, when you're done seeing patients. So I try to be um, considerate of other people's time and efficient with other people's time. Um, and then I, I tend to be fairly, and because I'm organized and efficient, I tend to be fast. So I think that those two things lead me to where I can get information quickly. I can work on something. Um, I can get it to where it's out of our side, off my plate and into where it needs to go next and then track it from there. So the question I have for you um, really revolves around <clears throat> from a su success, like not just what you consider to be success, but like the traits of a successful entrepreneur in healthcare real estate. And I ask that just because from my experience in real estate, like it takes a different set of ability to succeed in that space than it does like running a regular business because you're dealing with way more elements. So if you were to point out and say, hey, if you want to succeed in healthcare real estate, and you want to be doing the stuff that Trisha's doing and crushing it with. These are the things that you need to be focusing on to build these habits to see the success. What would they be? Give us like three. Um, sure. Um, I think you, you can't have too many limiting beliefs into what you can do, because if you do that, um, so, you know, real estate uh, practitioners like myself, we, it's, it's all on commission. Well, if you, if you can give yourself limiting beliefs, you're never going to continue to move forward and you're, you're going to starve because you'll never be able to close a deal. So I think you can't have too many limiting beliefs. You have to, um, and you have to be able to pivot. You, you can't be so it, it's so I, I feel like real estate practitioners that are really good. Like they, they, they're, 
they have like a system that's pretty um, structured for themselves, but then they have to have the ability to come in one day expecting to do something and completely pivoting and doing something else and to not get frustrated about it because, you know, they, they had to take care of this fire and then, but then be disciplined enough to come back the next day and do what, you know, they were planning to do. Um, and I, and I think being self-disciplined and having, um, so I find the best real estate practitioners, they, they do what's called more consultative sales. I don't know, like in, in, especially in commercial real estate, I think if you come off too much too, and I, I quote, and this is going to be bad, salesy, um, you know, the, those type of salespeople definitely have a time and place. And, and I, I appreciate them for, for what they do, but but for what I do, it's very consultative sales. It's what is your problem? How can I be part of the solution? How can I make it easier for you to get to a decision? Um, that sort of sales, um, in, it helps in what I do rather than being more just um, like a, 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 a slick salesman, I guess. <laughs> So on the back end of that, Trisha, do you, or did you have to do a lot of like personal development to be able to get yourself to that place where you kind of eliminated those limiting beliefs? Yes. And I, I'll say I, I continue to do develop professional development on an ongoing basis. Um, in order to continue to build upon being a better version of myself tomorrow than I am today. So, you know, build, I, I have, I organize myself quarterly. I have goals quarterly. I constantly read or listen to podcasts. Um, and I have to, I have to be careful what I read because, um, I'm a, I'm a, I do things quickly. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of the Colby, but I'm a really high quick start. Um, so I, I want to implement things right away. So I have to be careful with these books that are more like how to's, um, because I'll want to implement them right away. So I have to be careful where I put those in my, in my plan. Otherwise I get, I, I start to want to, you know, put those things in, in place. I've gotten a lot better where I plan it, but you know, that it's always, I'm always thinking about it. And I just had, um, someone, so I just was asked to make a quote for my, my, uh, alma mater. And so, I, you know, I'll share this with you guys too. I, I think what every entrepreneur can do is to, um, kind of make a, like, a, a their own personal operating system for what, who, how they operate, what makes them better, like what, what about them is, is incredibly unique. You know, some people call it their superpower, unique ability, what makes them special, whatever, you know, whatever term you want to use, but figure out what it is that got, that's making you successful and you focus on that and make it like an op, like your own operating system. I mean, break it down. Like you guys are doing to me, like, you know, break it down into its steps, systematize it, and then, you know, figure out how you can delegate parts of it to make, you know, a, and then 
so that you can go faster. I think that is probably what every can benefit any entrepreneur. So with the books, <laughs> guilty, guilty with that as well, <laughs> with, that, with the how-tos. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. I have quite a, a bunch of how-tos on my shelf, so I can yeah. definitely relate to that. For you, do you do you have them kind of categorized out too into like, this is what I use to help me with the sales aspect of things? Um, this is what I use just like strictly for mindset or is it just a mix? And what would you say has been like, if you had to give one game changer book that was like this book, like, changed it all what would you say that book was for you yeah and I um so I like Simon Sinek a lot um so the most recent book that I I was uh uh I'm trying to I want to I want to get the exact name but it's it was uh start with why and um that was the most recent one and every time I read his books I'm I I go into because he's not it's not a how-to like he's not a how-to to author. I mean, he is a how-to author, but it's less um, prescriptive, I, I would say, and step-by-step. It's more where he wants you to think before you do, in, in my opinion, I believe. But I read, um, and he's not the only one, I'm just picking because you asked, uh, you know, which one um, was the, the most, and that one's probably the, uh, the most recent one that was not like a step-by-step how-to, but the infinite game, that one I read last year and, um, I, I found it to be as an entrepreneur good in a lot of ways too, because, um, I am a constant recovering and guilty person of trying to be perfect. Um, and I, and I, say that because, because I'm watching my 15 year old son go through this as well. And so when I see it with him, like, I'm like, you don't have to get it right. Like you don't have to get it right. The first time you just have to try and do it and finish it and then go and like, then fix the parts that you don't like. But, you know, cause I'm like sitting here, I'm like, you know, at my age going, you know, at 15, why would you even want to get it right? (laughs) But you know, it's just, it's, it's, so I'm going, oh my gosh, like, and it's a mirror of myself because I was exactly the same way. And, um, and it's in, so like the infinite game is great because you're always continuing to improve. Um, and you know, someone else might come along and do one, one or two things better than you. And, you know, there's, there are, there are brokers all the time that are, you know, I see they, you know, they've closed a big healthcare deal. It wasn't me. I mean, there's lots of people in this space and, um, I just kind I just continue to build upon my own success and say, how can I make, how can I compete with myself in order to make that better? Because if I sit and try to figure out and compete with these other people, first of all, I'm going to drive myself mad. I'm not these other people. I, you know, I, I have, I, have my own background, but listening to other people and like what you guys are doing and saying, you know, what did, you know, what are some of the things that you used? You can take tools from other people, but you're never going to be exactly like somebody else. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I, I really like that because I think a lot of entrepreneurs get caught up in this, this invisible competition between themselves and whoever else is in their industry and niche. And the whole time, the people that are ahead of them aren't even paying attention to what they're doing, you know? So it's just like, if you'd put your blinders on, you'd be in the same position as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you touched on that. I have one more question for you. Mm -hmm. From a standpoint of your industry, if you could say, who would you put on your Mount Rushmore? That's interesting. My, my Mount Rushmore. It can be, and it can be your Mount Rushmore of entrepreneurs, or it can, you know, be your Mount Rushmore of healthcare, real estate, if that's what you want to do, either or. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there, there's a, so there is, okay. So in healthcare real estate, in my market, there is a woman, um, that's where I started at the Plaza companies. And, um, I started in the leasing department. So Sharon Harper is her name. And I would say she is definitely a pillar. She, um, even though she doesn't, she doesn't ever talk about her being a woman in, in healthcare, commercial real estate and, and being a groundbreaker, it's like she, she never talks about it in, in any of her public speaking engagements, but she has, I mean, she has been, a she has been a, um, a trailblazer for, for women in the industry. She was, first of all, it's development. I mean, she, um, she had, she, has done incredible things. She's brought in universities. She's put together projects of where different, like different, different um, business people, like not just commercial real estate or healthcare, but even like other businesses. And she's, she's created these developments. And so um, she's definitely, she's a friend. She's, you know, somebody that I continue to keep in touch with. And, um, you know, I, I think that she's just done a tremendous amount, um, in her career. Um, there is, so not, not in healthcare, but there's another, um, commercial real estate person in my market, um, uh, Pete Bolton. And he, um, he's another friend and, um, he's done anything and everything in commercial real estate. He has led, you know, CBRE in our market for many years. He was the head of Newmark in our market. Um, and he has seen and done, I think anything. I mean, he's, he, that, so he's a, and he's, and he's a, just a funny down to earth person as well. So I really enjoy him. Um, on the entrepreneur side, um, gosh, um, so I know people, you know, Elon Musk is a lot of people's favorite and I, and I don't want to say like, I admire like Elon as a person, but I admire him in his constant, like, I feel like from a business perspective, he's constantly moving and, and I enjoy, I enjoy watching like his next, like, what is he, here's the thing. Everyone's like, what is he going to do next? I mean, that, 
who knows, <laughs> which is, I think, exciting. I think it's exciting to see. Um, so as an like as an entrepreneur and a visionary, you know, I really do enjoy um, just wondering what he's going to do next. Um, so I would say that's three, you know, I really, Steve Jobs is another one that I really admire just watching again as an entrepreneur, you know, I, I understand as a person, he, he was controversial, but, you know, as an entrepreneur, um, I like that. He, I, what I appreciate about both of these guys is they're constantly thinking and, you know, what I take from that is that, you know, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter where you're born, nobody can take your mind from you. And if you are curious or you, you know, constantly want to explore, I think that there's always an opportunity to continue to think and think about new things, think about new ways of doing things. And I don't think anyone can take that away from you. So that's what I appreciate from, and I, and I enjoy watching these guys because they're thinking of things that weren't thought of before. Yeah, absolutely. No, those were great. Those were great. So thank you for making the time to come talk to us. Uh, we appreciate it. I know the listeners will definitely get some value too from this episode. For anyone who's listening, this is their first time being exposed to you what would be some social media or contact info that you would want to leave for them to get sure. in touch with you? So I have a website and it's um, that same name as my company, docproperties.com, docproperties.com. And on there, they can link to the podcast and pretty much, um, you know, any information they want to find out about me. And there's ways to get in touch with me through there as well. Um, Doc Properties also is on Instagram. It's on Facebook um, and on LinkedIn. And um, I'm also on LinkedIn as well under my name. So I'm, I'm very accessible for anybody that is looking to reach out to me. Perfect. Thank you. To our lovely listeners, as always, guys, we love you. We appreciate you. Anyone out there who is in need of any SEO help, don't forget where your guys, any inquiries, send an email to otcpodcast20 at gmail.com. And we will see you guys next time. So until next episode, peace, many blessings. Thank you for listening to another episode of Off the Clock. Don't be shy to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. See you next episode.